Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. It is great to be with you. My name is Matt Rumbaugh. I serve as one of the elders here at Fairfax Bible Church. It is my pleasure to be bringing you God's Word tonight. We're actually going to be in Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. I'm going to give you a minute to turn to that. Before we get into it, though, let me give you a brief update on where things are with our pastor search. As we shared with you a few weeks ago, we've actually been working on this for a little while now. There is a lot of stuff you got to do when you're searching for a new pastor. So once Jeff's news became official a few weeks ago, we went public with our announcement. And I'm delighted to say we've actually had a lot of potential candidates express some interest. Just by the nature of these things, most of them are not a great fit for us. It's just the law of averages, and that's okay. But we've been excited to see that uh, there's some really godly, sharp, talented men that are interested in serving with us. Uh, we've had some preliminary discussions with a few of them. I don't have anything imminent to announce, so I'm not breaking any news tonight, nothing like that. But things are moving. So far, so good. Now, I'm bringing this up because one of the things that has been encouraging to us about this is that in, uh, in these discussions with applicants and in the emails that they send to us, they like what they see. They like what they see in our church. They see the emphasis that we put on boldly proclaiming God's word. They see the emphasis we have on disciple making in our small groups. They see your pictures, and they see that we have loving communities. Some of them are even envious about it. So we feel like we have a pretty good gig here. People like us. They see us. And that emphasizes something that's been a value to us uh, for this process, which is that there's not a need to reinvent our church. We have a good foundation that a new leader can build on. We don't have to burn this thing down and start over. Uh, we, Paul writes in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it or to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we feel like that's what's happening with us, and we're excited about that. Now, with that said, when we do get a new pastor, there are probably some things that are going to change depending on his gifts and experience. He might want to emphasize a few things, or he might have some different vocabulary for some things, and that's okay. We know we can trust the Lord in this. If you've been around a little while, you know that we're a different church now than we were two years ago, or four years ago, or nine years ago. And it's very likely that two years from now, or four years from now, or ten years from now, we'll probably be a different church than we are right now. That's okay. Uh, but... For all that, there are some things that we expect to stay the same, and one of them is this thing that we want to talk about tonight, and that is the idea of love Christ, live sent. We expect this to be a value that we hold forward going forward. Now, maybe when a new pastor comes, maybe we say it a little bit different, maybe the words are slightly different, but in essence, what we mean when we say love Christ, live sent, we want that to stay the same. Now, this is not a quirk of uh, Jeff's personality. This is not something that he invented. This is the DNA of who we are as Fairfax Bible Church. So I thought that as tonight we enter this transition in earnest, it's worth spending some time on that. What do we mean when we say, love Christ, live sent? We use it every week at the end of our service. We use it a lot in our social media. Um, you guys actually use it a lot in your social media that I've seen. But what do we actually mean when we say that? That's what we want to talk about tonight. Um, so to do that, we want to look at the scripture. As we mentioned, we're going to be in Matthew 22, verses 34 through, did I say 34? Yep, 34 through 40. Let's look at those together here. So when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments stand all the law and the prophets. All right, so a little context here. Jesus uh, has mentioned two groups here. He's got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are two different camps of Jewish religious leaders. They have some very important differences in the way that they approach uh, Hebrew scripture. More significantly for our narrative, though, they love to jostle for power. They're in a constant debate about who's going to be in charge of the Jewish sort of religious apparatus. Uh, There's a constant back and forth. They love to argue with each other. In some ways, it's not unlike our two political parties, Democrat and Republican. So they, they have a elections, right? But more importantly, they are for, it seems like, more than just running for election, they are always on these cable news shows yelling at each other. You guys get that sense? You with me? That's a little bit like what's happening here. There's a lot of arguing back and forth, but not really accomplishing anything. So in the moment that we're looking at here in Matthew, they agree on one thing, and that is that they don't like Jesus. He is a threat to law and order. He runs the risk of stirring up the Romans, which nobody wants. He spends a lot of time with prostitutes and tax collectors and undesirables. He has this terrible habit of embarrassing them in front of the people that they're trying to take advantage of. He, they, they, the sooner he can get off the scene, the better off everybody is as far as they can. So in the passage right before this, if you just look slightly up on your text here, you'll notice the Sadducees had just taken their shot. They asked Jesus about what happens to wives and husbands in the afterlife, which is a little bit funny because they don't actually believe in the afterlife. But they thought they had a killer question for Jesus, but Jesus sort of flicks them away pretty easily by uh, addressing them from the scripture. The Pharisees see a golden opportunity. Not only do they have the chance to embarrass their enemies and score some political points, but this might be their chance to get Jesus off the scene once and for all. So they send in a lawyer. Now let's talk about lawyers. Do we have a couple lawyers tonight here? A couple, maybe. Okay, let's talk about lawyers. I, uh, God bless you people. I love you. I'm very grateful for you. But you are really a drag to hang out with sometimes. So uh, some of you guys know this about me. I've been in a fantasy baseball league for 22 years. I promise that's going to be relevant to you in about five seconds here. Don't worry. Nothing is worse than hearing people talk about fantasy baseball, except listening to lawyers argue about fantasy baseball. Listen to me. So, uh, so, so these guys all went to Harvard Law School together. They've done very well in their careers. They are my dear friends. I love them. But they can be a drag sometimes because they love to argue. One year at our draft, we, we get there. We're about to like start picking our players. This is very fun. We have donuts. We have coffee. This is going to be great. They open a rules discussion. Four hours later, we finish this thing. Oh, boy. Not even the players, right? Just four hours of arguing about fantasy baseball rules. It is mind-numbing. It is awful. It is exactly as much of a drag as you think it is. Oh, it was terrible. Anyway, so we don't do that anymore. But the point being, lawyers love to argue. They love it. I hate to argue. I don't want to get in an argument. Dan, you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't want to get it now. I have two teenage daughters, so I'm actually in arguments all the time, but I don't love it. I hate it, but I, that's, that's my life sometimes. So anyway, so these guys love it. Now, what they really like is uh, winning arguments when they believe this will solidify their political power. So when they can win an argument, they can, that gets them this station. That's what they really dig. dig. So you can see... And this is part of their role as religious leaders. So there are over 400 laws in the Old Testament that people are supposed to follow. And they're a little confusing. And so, you know, it's good that we have lawyers and and teachers for that type thing. 
so help them make sense. So like some of the laws involve like what to do if a, your neighbor's cow wanders onto your property. Yeah, so it'd be nice to know what to do if your neighbor's cow wanders onto your property. You need some people around. Many of them are hard for us to understand in our context because we don't live there. Uh, they're even hard for people at the time to understand. So sometimes you hit a situation that a law might not explicitly address. There's nuance. There's some context that's necessary. Or sometimes it's if you understand it one way, you would do this. If you understand it another way, you would do this. So it, it really helps to have people clarify these things and, and debate it and, and, and clarify all that. But the Pharisees do not see things that way. They don't like to use God's word to lift people up and empower them. They like to use God's law as a trap. They excelled in finding loopholes and explanations that put money in their pocket and put, kept them in positions of power, and they think that they can get one over on Jesus. So they ask him this question, which is the greatest commandment? Out of all the 400 or so laws in the Old Testament, which, ones are the one, which one is the best? Which one do we really need to follow? So in this, they think that what they're, what they're going to do is they're going to try and stake a position on one thing so that he will argue the other one, and they think that they can win a debate with him. They're trying to trap him. Whatever position he takes, they're going to argue the other side. I sometimes experience this as a husband. Husband, you with me here? So my wife, Christy, who is lovely, she's by no means a Pharisee, but sometimes she will come see me, and she'll have two different shoes on her feet. And she'll say, which one should I wear? The one on the left foot or the right foot? I have no opinion about this. I don't know. I can't say that I really care. But invariably, I'll say, right one. And her response will be, oh, because I was thinking the left. And I'm now sunk into a debate that I don't want to be in. I don't, I don't care what shoe. She wears lovely in any shoe, right? So, but I have fallen into her trap. That's not really what she means. I hate to use her example because she's not really trying to trap me in this. But that's what it feels like, right? And this is what they're trying to do to Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't fall for it. Uh, instead, he says, look, I'll make this really simple for you. Love God. Love your neighbor. Everything in the Old Testament falls into one of those two buckets. If you want to know God and follow him, it really boils down to those two things. Love God, love your neighbor. Or, as we've chosen to put it here at Fairfax Bible Church, love Christ, live sent. So if that's the essence of following God's commands, then we should understand what that is. And that's what we want to do tonight. So let's start with love Christ. Let's look again at what Jesus says he says, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and, and or the great and the first commandment. So if you are a first century Jewish person, this would be a really loaded statement. He is directly quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, which reads, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So this little phrase became known as the Shema, and it became a, a prayer that Ju the Jewish people would pray many times through, through the day. So it's a, a primary directive for them. So in their mind, the single most thing, important thing to know about loving God is to love him with everything that they've got. And now we could spend endless sermons delineating what it means to fully love God, but I'm going to have us focus on two things tonight. One is acknowledgement, and the other is affiliation. Let me tell you what I mean by those things. By acknowledgement, I mean seeing God and loving him for who he really is. 
The other text Jesus' listeners would have ringing in their ears in this exchange is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. This is the opening of the Ten Commandments. Most of you are familiar with that one. Uh, This is where he says, uh, the Jewish people, no following other gods beside me, no carved images. So in other words, no hedging your bets, no idols, no false false gods, no facsimiles. The guy gets first dibs on our attention and affections. That starts with understanding who he really is. Not who we might want him to be, not our own construction of him, but who he really is as revealed in the scripture. This is why we emphasize reading our Bibles so much, because the Bible is where we learn these things about God. This is where we learn about God's character. This is where we learn that he is the creator and that his creation is very good, including us. I was just reading Psalm 8 this morning where it says, what is man that you are mindful of him, but you have made him a little lower than the angels? So meaning that God has made, in all of God's creation, there's like the angels that are really awesome, and then there's you and me, like tucked under right there. Boy, I don't feel like I'm a little lower than the angels. Some days, some days I feel like a mess. I don't know about you guys, but, but that's what God sees in us, that he, we are, he is proud of us as his creation. Also in the Bible, we learn that his character, he is merciful and kind. I know one of the things that I sometimes struggle with is that God is this great punisher, that he's ready to pounce on me for any mistake that I make or any shortcoming that I have. But scripture tells us that that's not the character of God. Now, he punishes the guilty. He punishes sin for sure. But he's not an angry God fundamentally. He's not just looking to like pounce on us for every mistake that we make. We also learn about his holiness and righteousness. We learn about our sin and rebellion against him. More importantly, we learn about Jesus. That as God's son, he came to take on our sin problem that we cannot fix for ourselves. That his, through his death and resurrection, I can say those words, through his death and resurrection, we can be rescued and restored to right relationship with him. Now I'm mentioning this because acknowledging him for who he really is should lead us to love. That we seek to know about that which we love. I follow an English soccer club called Arsenal. I know that is essentially meaningless to most of you. That is perfectly okay. Uh, They play in North London. We have red jerseys. It's really cool. It's awesome. Um, So I started following them about 11 years ago. And when this happened, I I needed to learn everything that I could about them. So I read books about them. I read their whole Wikipedia page. I read about their manager's Wikipedia page. I didn't realize this at the time, but he's kind of a big deal. He He was like French. He had them like... Drink water instead of wine at halftime. Apparently, this is revolutionary. I don't, I don't know why that would be. But anyway, he's sort of a big deal. Anyway, they had won all sorts of trophies. I read about players. I started following them on Twitter. I uh, started reading blogs. I listened to podcasts. I bought, a, I bought a shirt. I have a scarf. My scarf is awesome. I love wearing my scarf. Uh, so I wanted to know everything I could about following Arsenal because I love them. And the more that I learned about them, the more that I love them. Now, these days they break my heart because they're not very good. And so um, it's a wounded love, for sure. But it's still love. I still love Arsenal. So the, it's the same with Jesus. If we love him, we want to know about him. We want to learn more about what he's done, the significance of that, how deep my sin really runs and the problem that creates, how amazing it is that he would give himself up for me, what it means that he is my substitute, what it means that in in defeating death and sin, he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. The uh, the, The more I love him, the more I want to know about him, and the more that I know about him, the more I love him. And that leads me into this issue of affiliation. I know it's a long word, but it really just simply means talking about him. You talk about the things that you love. 
If you're around me very long, you're going to hear me talk about Arsenal. Hopefully not as much as I talk about my wife and daughters. I love my wife and daughters. I talk about them a lot. But we talk about what we love. Here are some things that I know that you love. You ready for this? I made this list today. I'm very excited. You love rock climbing. Looking at you, Emily. You love Asian food. You love CrossFit. You love CrossFit. You love, oh, I made a list. What is it here? You love the Boston Red Sox. You love college football. You love Liberty University women's hockey. Yeah. How do you love Disney World? You love summer days. You don't like winter very much. I don't blame you, but that's okay. But how do I know that you love these things? How do I know you love these things? And I know that you love these things because I hear you talk about them. I see you on your Instagram or your social media. I see you post about them. We talk about the things that we love. If you're around me very long, you're going to hear me talk about my wife and my daughters. I love them. They come up naturally for me in conversation. People at work know very quickly, that guy loves his wife. That guy loves his daughters. That guy goes to a pretty cool church because I talk about these things. You talk about things we love. New parents. New parents are so much fun to be around. They cannot stop talking about their babies, right? Why? Because they're in love. It's so fun. It's so great. We talk about the things that we love. I just am in the middle of, or almost done with this book called Gospel Fluency by a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt. Anybody heard about this one? A couple hands, yeah. Uh, it's easily available on Libby, our library app. Really good book. Highly encourage you. Whole point, you, you talk about the things that you love. And so... It's only natural we should feel this way about Jesus. As we cultivate knowledge of him and grow in our affection for him, it should be swelling up in affiliation with him. That is, we should be talking with him to those around us. And that moves us to the second part of things we want to talk about tonight, and that is live sent. The second commandment Jesus cites here is love your neighbor as yourself. This is a reference to Leviticus 19.18. Again, it would have been very familiar to his listeners. Now, on the face of it, it's not that radical a notion. In fact, social psychologists actually refer to this idea as social reciprocity. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or the basic idea is the, the way that I behave toward others is the way that I should expect them to behave toward me. So the idea is that we'll have a better society as we're all just better people and this reciprocity builds upon itself. In fact, one of the criticisms of the Christian faith by the so-called new atheist is that it claims this concept as a unique teaching when it is, in fact, a universal truth. And there is some merit to this. This is a concept that shows up in uh, Humurabi's ancient uh, Babylonian code. Some of you are having flashbacks to, like, college uh, civilization course. Uh, Homer in the Iliad talks about this. Uh, so it's not all that unique a concept, but Jesus' words actually make it clear that he means something much, much deeper. Uh, in a similar exchange, in Luke chapter 10, there's a follow-up question to this. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, the lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? Lawyers, right? Again, lawyers. They're always looking for a loophole. So in that uh, parable, Jesus tells a story about a man who's traveling, and he's beaten up by some robbers, and nobody will stop to help him except a Samaritan. Now, this would have been a really striking answer to the Pharisees in that conversation. They would not have been very happy to hear that term thrown out. Samaritans were the other. 
They were despised, they were avoided, they were marginalized, they did not like the Samaritans, they don't want them around. Um, But that's who Jesus says we should think of as the neighbor in this situation. So we, we get a very clear picture here. Jesus is not playing around when it comes to this neighbor thing. He means business. It's easy to love people that look like you or dress like you or root for the same teams that you do or vote like you or live on the same street or do what you do or any of those things. But it's more challenging to love the other, the ones that are tough to be around, the ones that make us uncomfortable, that we have to go out of our way for. But Jesus says, if you want to love me, those are the people that I expect you to love. And to love them is simply to want the same things for them that we would want from God. So if you want God's blessing... Be a blessing to the other. If you want to live in God's mercy, show God's mercy to the other. If you want to experience God's generosity, be generous to the other. Or in other words, live sent. So in this, he's given us a tasking. John 20, 21 says, in fact, let me read this because I want to make sure I get it right. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, Taking taking him to those who need to hear. This is our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our CrossFit gyms, our mom's groups, our coffee shops, our softball teams, our book clubs. So when we say live sent, part of what we mean is that you do not live here by accident. You probably came here to Northern Virginia, maybe for your education, for a job, for a relationship, something like that. It may seem like you're here for those things, but what you're really here for is for the sake of Jesus, to be on mission for him. And so think of what a great place we've been sent to. I know the traffic's a drag. I know the weather's miserable in the summer. And I know the cost of living is bananas, but we have great restaurants. We are really diverse. We are an hour from the mountains, Okay, hour and a half, but, you know, we're an hour from the mountains. We're two hours from the beach. The people here are really well-educated and smart and interesting. We have world-class museums. Uh, We are really fit. Well, not me, but you people. You're really fit. And this is really unique to North Virginia. We are surrounded by missional people. So many of our friends and neighbors, whether they work in defense or intelligence or healthcare or advocacy or something like that, we live all around people who really do want the world to be a better place. And I don't know about you, but I am persuaded deep in my bones that the way for the world to be a better place is for more people to follow Jesus. And so I believe with everything that I have that the world that these people desperately want to live in is possible and tangible and reachable in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That his death and resurrection lived out in me and you really can change the world. It really can make a difference. And you and I are here to share that with them. We live with these people. We work with these people. We eat with these people. Our kids play soccer with these people. If not us, then who? And that's the essence of what we mean when we say live sent. It is showing the love of Christ in the places that we go to every day. So how might you show the love of Christ in your family? How might you show the love of Christ in your workplace? How might you show the love of Jesus in your CrossFit gym 
or the restaurants that you go to, or as you're walking around your neighborhood, as you're exercising, as you're living, as you're taking your kids to soccer practice, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you can live sent right here. And what a place we have to live sent. So in due time, we will hire a new senior pastor. And when that day comes, and let's pray that it comes very soon, some things are sure to change. But some things won't change, and this is one of them. We want to love Christ, passionately pursuing knowledge of him, growing in our affection for him, and telling others how great he is. And because we love him so much, we want to live sent in the places that we go to every day, as his representatives, as his hands and feet, as his ambassadors, because he really does make things better. And we get to be a part of that. And friends, there is no one I would rather live sent with than you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this would seem so simple. Two commands. Love you, love our neighbor. And Lord, how often we make it complicated that instead of loving you for who you are, we sort of build a construct or a facsimile. We, we sort of make an image of you. And then we're di disappointed uh, when you don't love us the way that we might want to. But Lord, how, how could that thing love us? That's not you. That's not who you really are, God. Would you open our eyes to see you for who you really are? In your power, in your glory, in your majesty, in your sovereignty. And yes, Lord, your love. Why would we settle for anything else when you have poured your love out on us in the person of Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would free us to talk more about you openly. You are so great. You have done such an amazing work in Jesus. What could be better for us to talk about? I pray that you give us the courage to do that. And Lord, as we live sent, we have an amazing place that you have planted us in. It is a place that is strategic for the gospel, that is influential in conversations in our nation. And God, it is a great place to live. Yes, traffic stinks and, and uh, gas costs more than we would want it to and all those things, God. Uh, but we are so richly blessed to live here. And so, God, as we walk around our neighborhoods or go into our workplaces or take our kids to school or go to the gym or whatever it is that we do, Lord, help us to live as your representatives, as your ambassadors. And God, as we freely talk about you and look for opportunities to be sent into these situations, I pray that you'd use this to bear fruit for your glory. God, we would be a church that is reflective of how great you are. So God, what we would do, it, again, we make it so complicated sometimes, but it really is simple. Help us to love you more. Help us to love our neighbor as we live sent. So we pray in Jesus' name.